Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Well, tonight, the NFL world, the professional and the fans will be sitting by a television or maybe live in Kansas City at 8 p.m. watching the NFL draft. Now, why am I mentioning an NFL draft? I know there's a lot of people that don't uh, aren't into football, but you've got to understand how much the NFL impacts um, not just the players and their families and not just the businesses, you know, in general, but the economy at large. Um, I remember when Florida had just one football team, the original Miami Dolphins, um, and even people from Orlando were boarding buses for a, a trip for a few hours just to go down and watch football. Why do I know this? Because my mom was a travel agent, and she used to book trips for people to go down and watch the game. So it, it does have a residual effect. And so we're going to talk to a couple of experts today about tonight's draft and a few play, couple of players and, you know, its impact. Um, you, of course, know Princess Cooper, the CEO of Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and uh, our, my technical producer. And also we're happy to bring back Dr. Kenneth Sean Chaplin. Good morning, y'all. How you doing? Good morning. Doing good. Okay, good. Good morning. Good, good. Good morning. Good morning. First, um, Princess, tell everybody because, you know, a lot of people that on my program know you from my show, but you do a variety of, of sports. I mean, that's your primary interest and topic, correct? Primary interest and topic since I was about seven years old. Um, and luckily I'm, I'm able to live out my, my dream. Yeah, we talk um, sports Monday Monday through Saturday, and um, my co-host is David Riley, um, former USFL star and also played for the West Virginia Mountaineers and the New Orleans Saints. So um, we get into this and dive into it all the time, um, the NFL and all of the um, in, ins and outs of it, of course, and, and anything college sports, too. Yeah, because I know your love was uh, basketball, especially women's basketball, because uh, you were just kind of like non-existent for anything else around that time <laughs> during the playoffs. <laughs> well, you know what? My love for women's basketball has grown past Tennessee and Pat Summit um, because I live in Columbia, South Carolina now. I've really taken on um, everything Dawn Staley just because I like her 
personality and approach to it. But it was not normally women's basketball. My first love is Florida Gators and college football, but it's just grown and expanded because of Don Staley. Okay. Now, Dr. Chaplin, tell us a little bit about your sports affiliation. Uh, So I'm a university professor, uh, and I teach in the area of sport. Uh, So that's really where my research lies. Uh, So I'm interested in particular in student athletes. uh, And um, both those athletes that played recreational sports at the collegiate level as well as those Division I elite athletes. So having gone to school in South Florida at FAU as an undergrad and then moving to graduate school uh, at the University of Georgia and then finishing up over at Texas A&M University in College Station, uh, I've seen a range of elite student athletes, particularly those playing football. So I've had a great opportunity to, to talk with them informally and, of course, What's interesting at that level is oftentimes they see an opportunity to advance, and so they're very sort of hush-hush about the improprieties that happen on campus because Mm. they know that as they begin to open their mouth, uh, they shut down opportunities. So, But over time, as as people become familiar with others that they consider friends, they tell you the dirty secrets. And so maybe today we can talk about some of those secrets and, how it plays out in terms of um, the combine performances as well as what that means uh, with regards to their perception of uh, being part of the NFL and uh, having an opportunity to be drafted. So we'll see what we, we can get into today. Okay, so before we begin, so like I said, it's in, tonight in Kansas City. Uh, for us novices, how do they select where the draft is going to be held? So, uh, I can, uh, so they, like teams around the league, they have a sort of a, a opportunity to select a place where they want to have the location for years. For many years, it was actually in New York City and was held there uh, for uh, decades. Uh, but I think recently, in the last uh, 15, 10, 15 years, um, they now moved the opportunity for people to now bid on their city. And if, if, uh, if they're selected, now they can hold the, uh, the NFL draft. So... And part of the history, the first NFL draft was actually held in a hotel, the Ritz Carlton, <laughs> uh, and that's where they had the draft. But now it's become there's so much pageantry involved in it. Of course, not one day; it's a series of days. And, and of course, now there's seven rounds, uh, and so it ends up being now a three-day event. So again, uh, it's turned into how do you say uh, big-time commodities. Uh, and big-time exchanges of money and trades that are going on during this uh, NFL draft. You know, uh, also, Gretchen, it's just I love that it is going from city to city of the NFL teams. I think it makes for a lot more pageantry. I love the three-day format, Thursday night, then Friday, and then most of the day on Saturday. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it, it has turned in, of course, to a financial cow for sure. But having mm-hmm. it in the cities of the NFL teams um, creates so much. And, you know, they invite you to um, uh, tell why you're an NFL fan and, and send in your video. And then you get front row seat up to, I don't know, 150 of them. And then there's a fan zone. And then there's so much within the cities. And I think each one of these NFL cities puts on a party, a scene, and, and really do it well in conjunction with, of course, the NFL. So let's let's talk a little bit about who are the front runners and why. Um, Princess, give me your perspective on that first. Wow. It really depends, I think, on best available and then the NFL team's needs. Um, The first pick goes to the Carolina Panthers. Um, It has been rumored that that's going to either be Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Um, The only knock that I can see on Bryce Young is is that he's 5'10". There's a lot of talk about his height as a quarterback. Um, But Mm -hmm. C.J. Stroud, quarterback, Ohio State. Um, Mm -hmm. Bryce Young, of course, Alabama. Um, But those are the two that everybody's taking a look at now between the Panthers at number one and um, the Texans at number two. Um, but there's a lot more out there. Everybody, if you're in the state of Florida, you're willing to see see what happens with the legend of, of Anthony Richardson as it is now. Only 13 games under his belt starting at the University of Florida. But Will Anderson, defensive player at Alabama, you know, those are some mm-hmm. that are going to be, you know, um, looked at tonight. And if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, as I am, I am rooting for them to, you know, to move up from their 26th pick to move up so that they can get B. John Robinson running back, Dope Campbell Award winner this past year for the University of Texas. Uh, yeah. Yeah, all, all, all names that I'm familiar with uh, that should go high in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, again, what's interesting is, uh, of course, there's this down-the-line similarity between where players are coming from um, and the, the type of, uh, how do you say, monetary value they may have of being placed place with these franchises. So we have players from uh, Alabama, um, Mr. Young, quarterback, uh, Mr. Carter out of the University of Georgia, uh, and Mr. Anderson yeah. again in Alabama. And so what's interesting here is if we begin to put together uh, a sort of the geography of the U.S., it looks like players are coming from the deep south, right? Not, not that they're not coming from other places, but this, this is another, how do you say, a similarity that critics have made with regards to aspects of the NFL, particularly the combine, that remind uh, some athletes uh, very much of a sort of a, an auction block. Uh, again, ju- I mean, just touching on where these high-ranked uh, potential prospects are coming from, the Deep South is very overlapping with the history of, uh, of course, race and um, slave relations in the Deep South. But, uh, you know, that, that takes us into greater politics, but, but yes, those, those players that were mentioned before, uh, consistently, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, uh, you know, those, those are all, uh, you know, South Carolina, those are all areas, mm-hmm. of course, that have some of the uh, preferred picks. 
Gretchen, I just want to say that I agree with the professor in this. I got a chance to, and I've been to the Combine in Indianapolis, but I got a chance to go to the pro day for the Florida Gators here recently because, you know, I've been in Florida. Um, and I got that same exact feeling. Um, these young men that were at the pro day for the University of Florida, all, of course, existing Gators and some former ones that were trying to make a team or at least get some exposure because all 32 um, NFL teams and scouts were at this pro day. And these young men came out in just um, some type of athletic underwear, and mm-hmm. they went through <laughs> measurements again. They went through, you know, vertical leap and several things, and they were yelled out. Richardson, you know, jumped five point whatever. To me, that seemed like an auction. That seemed like a, a slave trade, and it was so – it was – Awesome to be there, but it was so disappointing to see how it was managed and accepted. Um, and they went mm-hmm. for that and moved out onto the field for more speculation and more, you know, spectatorship and for them to perform again and get assessed and scouted. Um, so it's such a double-edged sword, and, and the professor's right. Um, that reminds you of slavery. Well, you know, I've said that before, um, even with my my very my very little um, understanding of the uh, minutia that is, goes on behind the scenes. You know, I'm more of a fan, but I, you know, I have said that it's like, okay, come up here, stand up here, smile for everybody, and then, you know, then we've got, you know, we're, we're just a little bit more advanced because we've got film of you too. You know, let's let's see how you run. Let's see how you do. X, Y, and Z. So, you know, I, I, it, it, that part of it does bother me. However, I guess when you think about the impact in terms of what it means for that young person and what it could mean for their family and maybe their community, if you have a person that becomes very successful in the NFL and they, you know, look beyond themselves and are able to do things like a lot of them start up charities or involved in in different charities and stuff like that. If you can get past how it's done and maybe they'll make some changes in how it's done, I don't know if it can be better or different, but, you know, the thing is, if you look at, look beyond that, uh, there's, you know, there's more positives, I guess you could say, than, than negatives. What do you think? Yeah, uh, there's a mixture of positive and negatives. Um, I think sometimes the the underlying question now is uh, how is labor now compensated, right? Before we know in terms of slavery, um, it was free labor, right? Total exploitation. Uh, And, again, one was born into slavery and one died as a slave, right? So that's that's a little bit different than, again, having an opportunity – to financially reset, uh, again, coming from perhaps a difficult family and financial background, now being able to, again, consume things that one wouldn't ordinarily consume, and, again, extending that to the family. So there there are those pos- positive aspects of thinking about the opportunity. But when we think about it quantitatively in terms of mass exploitation, it would appear that wherever there's a proliferation of black growth, there has to be, of course, in U.S. society, 
coming from its colonial history, a significant reflection on exploitation of labor, right? right? And so if, if people say, well, wow, they're getting drafted, they're making, you know, these are million-dollar players, we're talking about a billion-dollar industry, right? right? Let's not, let's not uh, you know, reduce um, their athletic skills and their compensation uh, to something that is just, you know, wow, they're millionaires. That may be chump change when all of the team owners are billionaires. All of them, all of them are billionaires, right? So, so again, when we're thinking about it in the big picture, this idea of financial exploitation, particularly with regards to race, and we know that there's more black players than there are white players in the NFL. Approximately two thirds of the players in the NFL are African American uh, people. Uh, so again, thinking about that um, opportunity to help their family, yes. Um, the, the other aspect now is there are people that have come to money, right, in terms of social class, understanding social class stratification. They know how to deal with money and grow money. When you have young men that have not had money and now are given money without any sort of financial advice or investment. These people can go from millionaires in one decade to almost homeless in the next decade, right? So there's a lot of misfortune and miseducation uh, that, again, let's say in terms of reparations, if you just gave black people a bunch of money, I don't know if that would solve any structural issues or that may allow a lot of black people to consume things at a particular point in time and then later on not be able to reap any significant benefits over time, right? right? So it's a way of thinking about, okay, what other ways can you set uh, these NFL players up for financial and family success in the future, both in and beyond their performance and their time in the NFL? That would be a much better program then, then uh, perhaps, hey, we're going to pay you millions, but you know you got to walk out here. We're going to poke and prod you, and uh, again, uh, just shorts, uh, and then we're going to send you to rounds of, of course, uh, MRIs. We're going to check for injuries. We're going to ask you degrading questions, right? And then, uh, and then for that, you'll be financially compensated. And what you do with your money is up to you. And so, uh, if you go broke uh, in four or five years. Uh, that's not really our problem. So uh, a, a range of issues for me thinking about whether it's, uh, you know, the good and the bad. Uh, I'm thinking long-term down the road. And uh, as you mentioned, G, it is wonderful to see players give back to the community, start nonprofit foundations, start educational programs, uh, and, again, these, I believe, may be few and far between because I don't know if your average player would, would invest that way uh, or perhaps invest in a new Bentley, right, which, which appears to be very common as opposed to thinking about long-term educational opportunities beyond the context of having to play, uh, again, collegiate sports. So uh, good and bad, mixture of, of issues, uh, and again, seeing these players at the point of entering the draft, for me, is only, only an, an idea of opportunity for access 
for greater resources, but that cannot be the whole story. The story must not end that you got drafted, instant millionaire. Wonderful. Right. Tell me what it looks like. You know, tell me what it looks like a decade later. Are you still a millionaire? Have you invested? What have you done with your with your body? How's your body feeling? How's your mind feeling? And how's your family? Can you sustain uh, that sort of uh, uh, you know that opportunity? So. Right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take yeah. a quick break. Uh, we are talking the NFL draft with Princess Cooper, CEO of Never Had It So Good Entertainment and Sports, and Dr. Kenneth Sean Chaplin. This, this is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Hi, I'm Tim Garris. Uh, you may know me as Timmy G. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the architecture. And I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's chill out jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight on KHAM Radio. Are you chilling? Hey, hey, welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are talking the NFL Draft, which airs tonight at 8 o'clock, uh, beginning of a three-day draft journey. Um, for some, the journey will end tonight with a selection uh, going to one of the uh, – how many teams are there now? 32? Is that right? 32. Yeah. 32. Yeah. Yeah, but and yeah. also too, um, what network is it on tonight? I forgot to check. Oh, it's on. You know? It's on ABC, ESPN, the NFL Network. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. oh, and of course the highlights will be on many of the news stations also. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of thirty-two teams, only thirty-one are selecting in the first round. Why is that? Uh, who wants to take that first? Well, actually, Gretchen, I'd like to go back and answer the last question that I did not get to answer. Oh, please do. And that is about the opportunities or, you know, the good and the bad. And mm-hmm. you would have to say yeah. the good is, just like Professor said, is that there's an opportunity to realize a dream and make money. Um, but then, you know, what do you do with all of those millions? And I don't think a week of a rookie symposium in Tampa with Northwestern Mutual is going to do it, um, right. you know, and, and that's what they give them. And then here, mm-hmm. go ahead and fly out with all of this money and don't buy 10 cars and three and four houses for Aunt T and the rest of the crew, you know, uh-huh. and, and that's it. How do you manage <laughs> that and maintain that and be financially savvy today and 10 years from now? Um, and the NFL, uh, the owners, of, like you said, are billionaires and, you know, Roger Goodell and the NFL commissioner said, you know, by 2030, we will be making about $27, $30 billion, and that is the goal. And I'm sure they'll get there um, for sure. The good news is that there's an opportunity 
Um, but that's, that is not the whole story. How do you manage the, all of that success and not blow it in the first two or three years? Because it is just like it is said, the NFL is, for not, is, is not for long, and you're not going to be there forever. How do you manage right. that? Yeah. Right. Um, and as far as Miami um, and why there are 31 you know, only picks, and that's because Miami lost their, their first-round pick um, because of the Brian Flores and Stephen mm-hmm. Ross saga. Um, and that investigation in the NFL found there to be enough information and proof that there was some, um, you know, tampering going on there in several different directions, as, and as well as, you know, saying, hey, we want to throw the rest of the season. Go ahead, Brian, take a vacation. Don't coach. Um, don't give a game plan. And all of that investigation came down with a fine and a loss of the first pick. Yes. Uh, to follow those comments, uh, there's tampering there, and there's there's tampering all throughout the league. There's all kinds of yeah. inappropriate communication. There's, there's all kinds of infractions, uh, even at the highest level when we're talking about something that might seem very superficial to people, such as deflating balls. But when you're talking about a person who is, uh, you know, a six, seven-time champion, now it draws a question mark about the advantage of the deflated ball. Right? So, I mean, so that's, that's tampering at the highest level. And if you think that those kind of negotiations are happening, of course they are much further down on the ladder, right? Wherever anybody can, how do you say, take advantage of an opportunity, whether it is uh, to communicate improperly with a potential a player, what it means to mess around with their contract, what it means, of course, outside bonuses that are, again, not on paper, but sort of a wink of the eye, right? So all of these things, are, are, again, are, are important aspects of uh, the normalization of impropriety, right? So that's, that's important to consider. Um, and the other aspect of the NFL draft, which I think, again, tries to give it some competitive capitalist uh, spirit, is that the the worst teams with the worst records are the teams that get the higher picks. So imagine the loser of the season is the winner when it comes to the draft, right, which is kind of a bit absurd or a bit of oxymoron. <laughs> but the, the, the team that has the worst record is the team that gets the best collegiate picks, right? And so it, it goes that way. And so – the Super Bowl champions, which, again, are the best teams, they get the last picks out of the first round. So you have 30-plus top players that they're not able uh, to land because they went all the way and they won the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, it's not a winner-take-all in the entire, uh, an entire football industry at this level because if it was, you could see where dynasties could be established and, you would really send other teams out of business, right, if they, if they lost perpetually for a decade simply because they weren't able to draft the best collegiate players. So it, how do you say, one hand washes the other hand to make the market competitive, right? And, you know, it just makes sense that, okay, we're going to give all 32 teams right now an opportunity to be competitive and sustain this sort of this uh, oligarchy of, of sort of control. So, yes, it is a very interesting how 
those kind of minimal checks and balances work to ensure that, okay, that a team will not rule for a decade because of great prospects. It's the teams will have ups and downs, and other teams will share glory, and they will develop their micro-level economy within that city, again, garnering much more respect for the state. So these kind of things seem to uh, seem to benefit all the owners uh, and all the benefactors at the highest level, regardless of where an NFL draft potential may want to play. Right? You play, if you're very good and you go very high, you get to go to the worst team. <laughs> it's like, well, what? I mean, I kind of look at it in the sense, and I don't know, it, it just struck me kind of the biblical sense about the last will be first. So I don't know if uh-huh. that kind of plays into that mentality at all. But, you know, like you said, it's, it's a system of checks and balances. And so given that they, they do get, you know, the worst team gets the best players, best team gets the worst players, it's going to be more of a testament not to the players as much as the coaching staff and the ownership in terms of, you know, how they, you know, and this, I guess, comes to that uh I guess you could say maneuverability, kind of like chess pieces or whatever. It's kind of up mm-hmm. to the the team, the team ownership and management, whether or not they're good chess players. If you want to bring another sport into it, uh, yes, high, high level chess, high level analytics. Um, again, not to mention trades, uh, all of those things. You know, phone calls, some appropriate, some inappropriate. But again, it's it's a it's a game where the where the pieces on the board, again, are black players, right, for the the most part. Uh, I don't want to stress too much of the racial politics, but at times it's almost difficult not to recognize how the exploitation takes place by management, right? Yeah, I guess, yeah. One of my – actually one of my favorite movies that kind of, I guess, helped me get a, a, I guess, an amateur insight or a little bit of insight is, uh, and, and of course it's fiction, but the movie Draft Day is, is one mm-hmm. of my favorites. Uh, kind of getting a little bit of insight. And like I said, I know a lot of that is fiction, but um, I'm sure some of it is factual. They actually have actual coaches in this, you know, Tom Coughlin, for one, um, in this movie. So I'm sure they're getting some sort of professional advice on on how that movie, you know, the making of that, when that movie was made. Um, Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit about, um, I want to go back to the players, because it's only in recent years that certain things have come up Mm -hmm. in terms of the players uh, after, you know, however many years, uh, you know, after football, you know, what's the career after that? You know, some of them go on to be sports analysts, but a lot of them, they fall through the cracks. And then they're dealing with the medical issues that come from such a violent sport. Um, mm-hmm. So, Princess, what, what, are you, what are you seeing? What are you observing? Are they, have there been any real improvements in terms of the afterlife of a football player? And then I'll ask mm-hmm. you, Ken. Wow. Um, I I still think, and I can't remember um, the player from San Diego charges that committed suicide about three or four years ago. Um, Professor, gosh, 
can't remember his name, linebacker. But um, if you're talking about concussions and CTE and okay. lingering in effects, and if we're talking about um, knee injuries and all of that stuff, I, I don't know how the NFL has approved that. Of, cur- of course, I think there's a, a better concussion protocol. Is it enough? Mm-hmm. If you ask Tua um, and his family, I don't know if you can say that there was enough because um, there were still some hiccups last year. But overall, I think that we are bringing bigger and better attention to it. Um, and I think social media technology, whatever, all of that has helped um, bring um, a bigger awareness to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think the NFL is forced um, to recognize this problem and address it every year and try to improve. And I have seen some improvements. But um, this, this 2023, the players are bigger, better, and faster. And um, hopefully science and technology um, is just the same. But um, I don't know if we've made enough strides. And when I say we, meaning the NFL, I'm a purist. I watch it all the time. I don't know if they've made enough um, um, advancement or improvements. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you it's not going away, and they are forced to to face it, deal with it, and handle it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't know. If, I know there's some uh, lawsuits, and, and the lawsuits have increased, and then the lawsuits have turned into class action, meaning that, again, you have a collective that now is saying uh, X, Y, and Z about, let's say, uh, I was told I was okay to go back and play. I told I was cleared, right, these kind of things. And then later on, uh, it, they find out that their injuries uh, are permanent, right? And so if they were advised in their best interest to not play, uh, they may have a greater opportunity to live a longer life beyond beyond the field, right? So I, I don't think those kind of lawsuits are going away. I think they're tricky in terms of if uh, the NFL accepts any form of, how do you say, uh, any form of um, responsibility, what that means in terms of, okay, financial restitution. What, if, if, you, if we say, okay, if, if they acknowledge it to begin with, and we, and we know that they have uh, refuted uh, neurologist findings about CTE and have said, no, that's not related to, uh, of course, uh, any sort of concussions long-term. And initially the, they refuted that and today we know that it's it's common knowledge that if, if if you're constantly suffering from head trauma that that could lead to CET. I mean that makes not only scientific sense at the high level that makes common sense today. Right? That's common sense uh, that they refuted. And again, we know that the purse behind that would say deny, deny, refute. Right. So, but uh, um, I don't think those those uh, those suits are going away, um, but I, th- I do agree, Princess. There has been improvements. Again, the players are pushing for improvements, right? That's part of the, the how do you say, the on-the-ground resistance, and the players are looking for, again, uh, compensation, especially the players long after they have played that now realize the significance of those injuries. Again, even one star player down there in Miami, Florida, Junior Seau, the linebacker, yeah. uh, who took his own life again because of CTE. And uh, there's very 
sort of horrific inside stories that he was, you know, may have been told that uh, today uh, you are sort of suffering from dementia and in three years you won't be able to swallow your food. You'll forget there's food in your mouth. You'll forget to swallow your food, right? That's That can be devastating. Absolutely devastating, right? Uh, that you for, yeah. that you for, you would forget to swallow food, right? But um, that's uh, that's the kind of things we're dealing with. And then if players do commit suicide or involved in homicide, as we know, again, uh, a player from uh, New England, a championship team, who um, who was involved in uh, a homicide. Um, Aaron Hernandez. Again, What's that? Aaron Hernandez. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. I was kind of gracious to perhaps calling it. Yes, he was involved in, and of course the speculations were true. Did he suffer from CT? They're like, yes, we we see that here in that case. So, um, and these are the ones that might be extreme, but let's think about how a person who's suffering from CT, who doesn't make it on the news, is now dealing with a marital relationship, dealing with a, a, a spouse dealing with, uh, again, family and children. And, again, these may not make it to the news, but you can imagine um, the violence and the disturbance that might cause to the whole family unit when you have this very strong uh, ex-NFL player that is Mm -hmm. now very irritated in the house. And you don't want to call police because you love, you know, you love this person, family loves this person, but they can be uncontrollable. Right, right, and again, that that's not going to make the news uh, because they keep right. it in the house. So, so right. there might be much more, much more than what we see with the star players. It, that might be, mm-hmm. how do you say, the canary in the mind. It it might uh, in the mind. It might um, open up opportunities to think about people who are living with CP. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. so, but yes, princesses, oh. princesses, right on target. We're going to take a quick break. We are here with Princess Cooper and Dr. Kenneth Kaplan. This is G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment, and we will be right back. (laughs) Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are talking about tonight's NFL draft, which will run through Saturday. And we're here with uh, Princess Cooper and Dr. Kenneth Chaplin. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. I want to get back to actually actually some of the technicalities of the draft. And, um, you know, it seems like the teams have all of the power. So one of my questions is if you are a player and you get the call or whatever, 
from a team that eh, you may not have really wanted to be considered by. Uh, do you have what? What is in the contract? Do you have the right or opportunity to say, no, thank you, Princess? Um, no. Unless you're Archie Manning and, and Eli Manning, and you are uh, um, working behind the scenes to get um, uh, your rights traded from one team. I think it was San Diego to the New York Giants. Yeah. But no. Um, right. You know, when you're drafted, you're drafted by that team. Now, behind uh-huh. the scenes, there may be some negotiations um, that, okay, mm-hmm. we actually want that player and we're willing to give up our next two picks in the next round. Um, and then mm-hmm. that. But, no, at that point, the player doesn't have um, much in rights at that point, um, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, Dr. Chaplin. Yeah. yeah uh, so the player – forfeits the opportunity of, of selection, right? You can imagine a, a great college player says, I want to go to a good team, which is not the case. But <laughs> oftentimes it's, it's heard, rumored, word of mouth. And again, uh, a, a team may select a player, like the players we mentioned earlier in the podcast, they may not need a quarterback, but they select that top player and now they use that player to trade for perhaps players down the line that play the particular position that they realize as an organization that they might benefit from, right? So if you have a great quarterback or a pretty good quarterback, you believe you have a pretty good quarterback, and quarterbacks go very high, you may say, let's get this quarterback, and we can negotiate that with our current quarterback, or we can switch him out, or we can trade, or we can do something. And again, But players oftentimes – um, will say that they don't want to go X place, and that may be the place that they're destined to go. Right? And that would be short-lived because, again, it becomes quick with all kinds of beyond speculation, just this player was out here and this player told such and such they don't like this city. They don't like. So it comes out quickly, uh, but players usually acquiesce. They get traded to a, a very difficult team that's been struggling for years and they're like, I'm here to bring a new face. This is a new era. They'll tell you all of the PR um, selling points of, you know, a a new quarterback, a new era, a new beginning, right? Uh, Of course, they bring the the whole narrative of newness, uh, but they are simply glad to be drafted, right? Before they're scrutinizing their location, they're simply glad of course, to change their financial position, right, being in college. Uh, for many uh, D1 um, elite student athletes, they are virtually living in poverty. Um, they, they may not have any reason to, to go back home besides family. Uh, there's not much there. They're eating out of the cafeteria constantly because it's part of their opportunity. But they're going from that to, again, what would be considered – considerable financial security. So they're like, I'll go wherever you want me to go if you're going to pay me what you're going to pay me, right? Uh, so uh, I don't know too many that would be choosy out front, and, and I don't know that they would even voice that uh, given, uh, you know, the great financial gain. So, but as it stands, you go where you're selected, right? That, that's, that's kind of, and they, they know that. They kind of know that, so uh, 
they're not really bucking uh, bucking that, as far as I know. Um. I want to also ask about the team budget. We know some teams have a lot more money than others, um, and so uh, what? How much? How much does that play into the draft? Uh, uh, it, it depends on. The kind of so we know there's salary caps. There's salary caps in a lot of right. sports, right? You can only spend a certain right. amount, and so there's a budget for that. And also, the budget may rise depending on how bad the team has done, as well as mm-hmm. the potential value that they see in a player, right? So there's yeah, because I was curious about yeah. that because I know different teams have, you know, everybody isn't coming to the. Um, draft with the same amount of money, and there are salary caps. So are the salary caps a certain or set amount, or is it a percentage? How does that work? Mm-hmm. Well, the the cap is something, of course, that's legislated. Uh, we understand how it goes. And then besides the cap, you have all of these kind of bonuses that, are, that can be considered part of that cap, and then you have the things that are not on paper, which are the perks, right? So the perks can also offset offset uh, a particular kind of salary cap, right? So if you have if you have an automobile that comes with it, it's not necessarily in the contract, or it's on the side of the contract, or if you have housing that's provided, uh, you know, all of these things begin to begin to become negotiable. Um, Again, it, it depends on the organization. It depends on the value they see in a particular player. Uh, and again, each team comes to a um, a draft with a different budget, and uh, they also come with different needs. That budget is also based upon a need. So, if you're in need of a quarterback, you better pony up a little bit more money. If if you're in need of, let's say, perhaps a tackle or something, somebody that's Again, important to the structure as far as you seeing um, seeing the team advance, but not as how do you say not in the limelight. I don't I don't really see a, a lot of tackles, defensive tackles, or offensive linemen that make the media news like you would see a quarterback or a receiver or a cornerback or a running back. So uh, again, a different kind of budget for that need, and again much of that budget becomes negotiated internally, especially with where they see the team at the date that the draft starts. They have a three-year perspective and a five-year perspective. What is this draft? What do we see that this draft can do in three years? What is a reasonable gain? And what does it look like in five years? Right? So, again, uh, these numbers uh, are constantly negotiated internally before they even reach the draft. And so they have figures in mind with regards to what they would pay, uh, what they would pay people up front. Uh, and so an interesting note, the last person in the draft has been given the name Mr. Irrelevant. Right. <laughs> right. Mr. Mr. Irrelevant. And it's kind of like, okay, all right. And you can imagine how much they would pay for a Mr. Irrelevant, right? Sort of, okay, yeah, let's find somebody way down at the end of the draft. And so we'll give him this contract and see if it works out. So, again, even a budget for Mr. Irrelevant uh, is mm-hmm. there, right? So, 
Uh, again, right. you, you take you take when it's your turn, you take a puzzle off of the you take a piece of the puzzle, the best piece that you see in the puzzle, either for a trade or for your organization, at the best value that you're willing to spend. Yeah, a lot of politics behind economics. Yeah. And Gretchen, you know, if the yeah. salary cap is what it is for each team, um, uh, the Texans may spend more on their quarterback than the Panthers will, or they may spend more on defense than they do on offense, which sometimes it concerns me. But that's why you see um, at the, the deadline of free agency or wherever that, you know, certain teams release players because they're trying to free up cap space. And if they're freeing right. up cap space, they're freeing up money. Um, and I think the thing that may be unequal is where you are in the marketing um, space and value of a team in New York has to be different than it is in Missouri um, or California versus, you know, Louisiana. Um, so I think you see a bigger value in these teams. And I did want to go back to, even though it's in place, if you had the worst record, you get the first pick. We seem to see some of the same teams coming back again and getting the first pick, like the Panthers. The Jaguars have not performed well. The Detroit Lions are out there have not performed well. We see, and the Texans have released their quarter, I mean, their head coach after the first year, three straight years, and now they have another one. So you still <laughs> see some of the teams with this in place. Um, coming back to being the first pick overall. And that Texans uh, team, I think, is in disarray um, because it really hurts my feelings that, you know, three straight years African-American coaches have only gotten one year to try to turn Mm -hmm. around um, a decade of foolishness that the Texans have created. But hopefully maybe D'Amico Ryan, who's there now. But, yeah, that cap space can be the same for each team. But the value in the market and where they are, is completely different, and how they're spending that money may put them yeah. in trouble too. How they're managing that may put them in in trouble. And Mr. Irrelevant has become a big deal. The last player picked gets to go to Disney, gets to go to interviews, and be on the Tonight Show <laughs> and ESPN yeah. and all of yeah. that. You know, uh, I think we put a little bit more um, uh, value on that now and make it a really big spectacle, if nothing else, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're gonna take a we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to find out from each of you who's you know because I know you both probably have different opinions. Who's the team to watch? Who's the player to watch? And also, mm-hmm. who is the current or retired player that these young folks should be watching as an example of how their lives should be? I know that's a lot in the few minutes that we have left, but we're gonna try. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time, and you need to plan a wake or repast. 
let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And so we're in our last few minutes, and I want to start with Princess. Who's the team to watch? Who's the player to watch? And who's the player that has already been there and maybe gone that the young folks should be watching as an example for their lives? Well, that's a lot, Gretchen. But now if I'm just not – if I take my heart out of it, um, I still like the Kansas City Chiefs and the – and Patrick Mahomes, I, I think they did what they yes. needed to do last year. And I love Andy Reid as a coach and Patrick Mahomes as a player. Um, but now as a Dallas Cowboys fan, come on, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, give me something, although I'm not a fan of the owner. Um, and you just can't discount discount what Jalen Hurts did with the Eagles. That's and right. I'm not an Eagles fan, but I am a football fan. And congratulations to that young man. Um, and if you're looking at somebody that has done it, you know, I'm looking at those who have managed their money and stepped away from the game with the plan um, and with money intact. And, gosh, I, I'm just going to pick uh, Tom Brady. I could go NBA and pick Magic Johnson, love what he's done. But Tom Brady, you know, he has his own um, fitness facility back in Boston, has his own, you know, um, uh, vitamins and, and, and you know, uh, workout stuff that he's doing, TB12. Um, and you'd have to say that he's intact with Amazon and what they're getting clothing ready to do. Clothing line, too, right? Um, yeah, he has a clothing line. But, you know, he's getting ready to start next year with, um, you know, uh, TV and commentating. And he has a $375 million contract already in hand. So um, that's who um, I, I, want, I want longevity and I want my money to outlast me yeah. and leave a legacy. Yeah, uh, I think Princess is right on point. I think with the terrific accomplishments of uh, Mahomes, so young and so early, yeah. that um, you know, if he can if he can continue to sustain that, he will yeah. of course be considered one of the greats. And so, um, and of course, Jalen Hurts did fabulous. We have uh, Mr. Burroughs down in Cincinnati, who also took his team, uh, some said out of nowhere to somewhere. So mm-hmm. these younger quarterbacks have been able to accomplish things much sooner than uh, than we've thought, right, versus more veteran quarterbacks. So there's there's something going on with the water uh, that these younger quarterbacks are, are sort of uh, are drinking. I'll also say there's certain players that have, have uh, in leadership positions that have, I felt, have, have managed the media quite well. And by doing so, I think they've been able to uh, – Establish themselves beyond the context of football. They've sort of been mild-mannered. They've answered questions uh, by media that's poking them. So, um, for unfortunately, for many of the young uh, black players, uh, to look up to these players after the NFL, uh, the Peyton Manning comes to mind. Of course, the Tom Brady comes to mind. And again, you're dealing with players that were stars on their team that won NFL championships, that were NBA, uh, MVPs. And, again, how does, a, how does a player who played in the NFL relate to these players that have $100 million contracts? Those uh, players appear to be in the best situation 
to advance to a very luxurious life after playing football. So, hmm. again, in, in looking up to them, it might be a bit like me looking up to the clouds thinking, okay, how can I get to these clouds when there's people in the clouds like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, knowing that that's, that's not my future. So, but, again, these people uh, were selected for leadership on the field. They were, they, they were selected for the ability to handle certain stresses. Uh, of, of course, their media personality and presentation, which leads them to, again, other opportunities beyond the context of football. Uh, but these are the people, again, that I know of, besides those that have invested in nonprofits and have done things with foundations and have done things to give that to their communities, they are out there, but they are much less known. They are much less known. So, again, the media may not focus on them like they may focus on uh, these other players that, again, end up sometimes very monodimensional in the aspect that they become analysts. They turn around, they sign big contracts to be on, uh, you know, sports networks, and so, again, the average NFL player that retires can look up to that, but that's, that's maybe a far-fetched, uh, far-fetched scenario unless perhaps they'll go back to school, uh, get their degree, maybe even pursue a, a graduate degree, develop an opportunity to be deeply analytical and articulate, then, then these kind of things may open up because when you're especially placed in front of the camera, things can go very well or things can go wrong very quickly, right? So um, those are things they would have to think about as they look up to these these sort of iconic kind of players. Are you there, so we, Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. here. I'm here. Before we go, I have to mention two players that the Central Florida community is kind of uh, keeping their eye on tonight or for the next couple few days. Um, one is Georgia Bulldog uh, Jalen Carter, and I think yes. the other one is from UCF, University of Central Florida, uh, Devad, or I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, D-I-V-A-A-D, Wilson with uh, UCF. So I, uh, uh, Jalen Carter was a former player with uh, Apopka High School, the Blue Darters, so, which is uh, right outside mm-hmm. of Orlando. So um, I know that the eyes are on both of them tonight and wish mm-hmm. them well. Thank you both for sharing your insight and um, hope you guys um, get what you're looking for out of the draft tonight. And uh, <laughs> Dr. Kaplan, always a pleasure. Look forward to having you back. Thank and Princess, you. always thankful for you taking your time out of your busy schedule. So, and thank you all <laughs> for listening. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Be well, be safe, be blessed. And please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care. Thank you so much.